You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Legal Talk, and Alhamdulillah, Legal Talk is a program that uh, is uh, catered and made and tailored uh, for your listening pleasure. And uh, we're bringing in those guests uh, that really matters, uh, that conscientize the ummah, and uh, literally give you advice that you would pay an arm and leg, an arm and leg for. But uh, half is, uh, you know, attorney uh, Muhammad Kubadia is someone that I embrace, I celebrate, and he's become uh, one of our favorites on the show. Um, Muhammad, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. for joining us on your segment, I'm calling it Legal Talk. How are you doing this, a fine, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm doing so well. It's not only costing you an arm and a leg, so we're willing to take kidneys now also just to make it affordable for people to get some free legal advice. Jazakallah for having me on your show. And inshallah, inshallah, we're going to wake up KZN tonight and in the rest of the parts of the world where they're hearing and they're listening to your beautiful show, we're going to wake them up this evening, inshallah. You know, you have started a series on uh, talking about, uh, you know, the fascinating series on uh, buying and selling homes, uh, legal steps and procedures, empowering the ummah uh, with the fine print and uh, so forth. And you also gave us tips on uh, how you can make uh, your home uh, talk, you know, business-wise and how you can use it uh, perhaps a, uh, as uh, uh, as as uh, other income and so forth, and how to beautify if you you know you're selling a house and how you do it and a little bit of painting, all the stuck in my head, uh, Muhammad. And you know, continuing in in, in that uh, form and that series, uh, we'll uh, we'll come back to that a bit later. But I've been thinking, you know, uh, we look at all the uh, different scenarios that's taking place around in the globe. And then when we watch uh, and look at the disaster zones, you know, many homes are washed away, the earthquakes bring them down. Uh, some fall into sinkholes, some fall down the cliff into, uh, you know, and it just goes. I mean, you can even see the stories of the Quran playing in uh, out in front of you. Talking about structure and, you know, different areas you have to build differently and then you get a brick and mortar and then you get a, a stones and uh, you know you get iron and then you get wooden structures and you get bamboo structures um, talk to me about these different types of buildings and how they vary in prices and so forth and uh, you know certain areas you have to build according to uh, you know what the conditions are ask you to build you can't go against the grain of our mother nature Talk to me about that phenomena, uh, Muhammad. Gee, excellent question, Mashallah. I see you've been doing your homework. You've been anticipating me, trying to throw a curveball, Alhamdulillah. Hey, Let's hey, see. Honestly, I, I tell you, no homework. It's just that inspiration you give me. I, can just see that. I, can, I, I see that genius sitting in front of me. I said, yeah, this is okay. Now he's that. You're a genius. Go ahead. Uh, You're going to make me run away with the type of questions that you're going to throw at me. But uh, I want to, me and you are going to remain friends, inshallah. So, okay, let's put things in perspective. We, our life on earth is temporary. We understand it. We have, we make plans, but we know our plans are always curtailed, are always uh, considered in the light of the brevity of our existence. With that in mind, you know, uh, we, we whilst we have to, the Quran says, don't forget your portion of this world. With that in mind, we have to accommodate ourselves. We need a shelter and we need a structure under which to live. Uh, it's well and good that you say that, you know, we don't know the, how long we're going to be living on the face of this earth. It could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So why invest in brick and mortar? Let's just uh, live in a cave 
and maybe like that, you know, we sheltered mostly from uh, a lot of the natural disasters. And even if anything had to happen to us, we would have uh, not have invested any money. But I mean, that's not how we've been taught in the religion. We taught that we need to live in this world whilst we're preparing for the year after. And by that, it means that we need to wear clothes, we need to go out and work, we need to provide for ourselves and our family, and it's obligatory on everybody to provide for their families. And in that spirit, you know, uh, houses of such a thing that Allah mentions when he talks about uh, uh, the Sakina, that Allah uh, creates and places peace in the homes, in our homes. So with that in mind, sometimes we travel around the world, we may live in five-star hotels and we live in even seven-star hotels. But there's something unique about coming back home. And there's an element of peace that Allah has created in your own home, no matter what it is. It doesn't need to be anything superb. It can be just basic. But the sleep and the peace of mind and the quality that you find in your own home is second to none. So yes, yes. I understand, you know, that we should not be investing in this world, rather our investment should be in the year after. But Islam at the same time teaches us that we need we don't need to have a frugal existence in order to be saved. Our lifestyle should be generic. It should be what our community is accustomed to. Our lifestyle, if everybody is living in a home, then for us to be living in a tent is unnatural. Whereas if everybody is living in a tent and that's the custom of the people, then for us to be sleeping without a tent is considered to be unnatural. Rather, you know, the culture and the time, in the time of the Islam, the structures were different. There was no such a thing as the roofings, roofings that we see with tiles or with, you know, with iron, with sheets. What they did have was the mere basic date palm trees as the roofs of the trees. And that's what the people sheltered themselves under. So, so whilst we then know and it can begin to understand why it's important for us to live uh, basic lives that entail now investing in brick and mortar. It all depends how much are we willing to invest and how much can we afford and what type of lifestyles uh, are, we, uh, are, are we accustomed to. So, yes, many things are taken into consideration when a person builds a home. Um, in, in America, you find that uh, notwithstanding the natural tornadoes and whirlwinds and all these things that they have annually coming through the eastern part of the United States, by and large, most homes are built out of wooden structures. And you find that it causes a lot of death and destruction and loss of property. And for, for us, it sounds unusual that, you know, in that part of the world, especially the east coast of America, people are building with bricks, uh, with, 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 with wood when they should rather have been built with bricks and mortar. So yes, they do that because primarily homes to build in America are generally expensive and to build with bricks is extremely expensive. It's for the wealthy, so to speak. The average person has to build his home and it's like a prefab structure and um, it's, it's, it's wooden beams and you know, even that, those costs goes into thousands and thousands of dollars. In this part of the world, I think actually we should be considering uh, maybe building lightweight homes in the sense that we don't really have the type of natural disasters they would that they would get in other parts of the world. And yes, we do get freak weather and from freak weather it involves sometimes heavy rains, sometimes floodings, it involves maybe strong winds. 
And ho homes that are generally built with bricks obviously are made stronger and they build to last longer. And that's why you can still find homes like this that are 100 and 200 and maybe 300 years old, built from the early times of the early settlers that came into the country, the fortresses, these types of people came and built and established buildings. And that is, I suppose, maybe the Dutch, the European way of how they build their structures. The British also used to build with brick and mortar. Going back to London and seeing the structures that go back hundreds of years, we can see that this was the culture of the Europeans and they brought it into Africa and those parts of the world that they colonized. But yes, so one of the fundamental things that people take into consideration, one, is price. Um, you need to consider that how, what would be considered to be affordable for the average person. You can't go overcapitalize and build using material that inevitably will skyrocket the price of your home because how do you resell in the event that you need to resell? And a home is an investment. Whilst you use it at the same time, you take maximum advantage of your investment. It provides a service to you and your family. Unlike if you buy a gold coin, you uh, you cannot eat your gold coin. You cannot use your gold coin for anything except that you can hoard it. But a home is an investment that you're able to live in it. You're able to use it. So it does has much, have much more value. So you'd like to invest in the property up to a particular point. Over-investing in a property also means the resellability, the opportunity to get your money back in the event where you decide that I want to dispose of the, my, this particular investment for whatever reason. Sometimes the family gets too small. Sometimes you find that um, you need to relocate for work purposes or medical purposes or something like that. And um, for that reason, you want to dispose and sell your property. You find that if you've been, if you've, if, if you've developed and built a property in accordance with what local customs is, it's generally an easy proper, easier property to dispose of in the long term. So our culture locally is we build locally, we see what's available in the local hardware store, and with that, we, we utilize and we use, and that's how we basically build in different parts of the world. Yeah, Mohammed. And then, you know, whilst you're talking, I think about, uh, you know, people buying perhaps expensive properties and so forth. And uh, suddenly uh, the property is uh, devalued because of circumstances and uh, things are out of their control. What are some of the, uh, you know, conditions or some of the factors that lead to a devaluation of a property, Mohammed? Okay, so for a stark example for us, something that's blatant in our faces, let's take the Z CBDs of many cities, Johannesburg, Durban, go to Bloemfontein. There was mass mobilization of people into the CBD. And what happened with that is you found that suddenly people that were generally homeless were now invading buildings, buildings that were empty, they were, were getting into it, or they were, they were then um, renting out buildings within the CBD. And unfortunately with that, take Hillbrow, for example, because I'm familiar with Johannesburg. Hillbrow used to be like the Paris in the, in 1980s, 1970s, 1980s, and even the early part of 1990s, like the Paris, how Paris and Beirut was in that part of the world. In this part of the world, Hillbrow and Johannesburg, remember Johannesburg had, for example, the Carlton Center, 50 stories, which was the talk of the town 
us as local children, we used to love to want to go to the Carlton Centre up to the 50th floor, go to Wombi, buy an ice cream and see if we can spot anything down 50 floors at the bottom. That was the nature of how we we, we were so fascinated by the Carlton Centre and the Carlton Hotel was the first five-star hotel in the whole of Africa and everything was tip-top smart, you know, that was like exclusivity, like you can't believe and you can't imagine. So, you know, Jarrettsburg CBD attracted a lot of attention. People invested huge money, huge buildings came up. This was now, you know, it was like the financial hub of Africa. And Hilbro automatically benefited. People moved into Hilbro. And then we saw what happened is the erosion of the CBD in time to come. Foreigners, they blame a lot of it on the foreigners. Foreigners came in and they moved into these areas. And where that came to the prostitution, where that came the crime, where that came the drugs, where that came the bad element, the underbelly of society moved into this and automatically people with some level of family, some some level of, of, of concern, then immediately moved out of these areas and they moved to outlying areas. And the same thing, same thing happened with the Durban CBD area. You know, uh, notorious now some of those areas, you and me will not be found dead in those areas because unfortunately those areas are unsafe. Those areas are, you know, but look at what happened to the landlords or landlords then practically had to abandon their buildings, practically had their buildings go get to get rid of their buildings for whatever value it is worth. Those that continue to hold on for whatever reason, maybe they were unable to find a buyer at the end of the day. They lost a lot of money in the process. So that was, you know, just a, just a typical example. There are various other reasons sometimes where properties lose value. For example, you'll find that um, when, when, when a school or a shopping center comes into an exclusive area, people are not used to seeing a volume of children up and down. Sometimes, you know, it's school hours, but the children are standing outside, they're smoking, they're busy uh, just having a good time, friends kicking ball. You neighbors in the community find that to be somewhat suspicious. Sometimes you find that is a theft accompanied with children walking up and down. There may be a hosepipe, there may be a bicycle, there may be something. So, so sometimes you find that you never envisaged in time to come that certain community centers, social areas, uh, shopping centers may come in and sometimes bring these types of values. But it has, you know, uh, it all depends on the nature and the quality. Of the type of um, uh, type of developments that happen in the area, sometimes you find that homes around a particular masjid. So when you go into area, you would never have imagined that a masjid could come up here. And naturally, as the community grew, there was a need for a masjid, and it just so happened it was across the road from your home. Uh, that that generally is a good seller. You find people would appreciate uh, having a masjid, especially Muslims being close to a masjid. So sometimes that's that's a good seller. Schools should technically been in the area but not too close so if there's an area a school in the next street or something where it's walking distance you know it seems to be an advantage if it's a type of school that you'd like your children to attend that has similar types of shopping centers provide um, also sometimes convenience stores so to speak so bread and milk is easy but it shouldn't be too close and not too far at the same time and should attract the right quality of people, sometimes shopping centers or just just attract the wrong crowd. And that also brings a negative element. Just yesterday, I had to go out with a client to go view uh, a commercial center and just outside there because uh, the sewage was beginning to run uh, behind the shopping center. Automatically, the traffic was blocked out and people in the area, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, were reluctant to come in, come into the shopping center. So you find automatically now this was unfortunate. You know, these types of infrastructures and service delivery issues can actually impact on the business. And, and we were talking, there was a business a few years ago that had to close down because rotten sewerage basically uh, came into this guy's parking area of his business and for weeks then he was struggling with this issue and he couldn't maintain it. So, yes, you know, it, it's difficult sometimes to identify what the future, we don't know what the future holds. It's difficult sometimes to identify how you the, your your investment is going to pan out. But uh, inshallah, I think, you know, they, they call it the brick and mortar investment, meaning that when you wake up, you can see the brick and the mortar. You don't have to go to the stock exchange or go online nowadays to see, did it go up, did it go down? But all you're holding is a piece of paper if you have a share. At least here you have something. If you lose uh, your title, lead, you still got the house. That's what actually the value is intrinsically uh, contained within the house. I, I say that, you know, you live in your home, which is an investment of a different nature. You're able to, your uh, your investments generally by and large grows. Um, the demand for houses will always be there. People who, younger couples get married and they need to settle down and they want to move into particular areas. So the opportunities for houses to get sold and to, hand it, to be handed down is always there. Yes, yes, yes. That would be the type of investment a person must always have within his portfolio. That amongst all the different investments, the most important basic investment must be let me invest in the house so much so that my house can actually benefit me in years to come financially. Jazakallah for that, uh, Muhammad. Then, you know, once you're talking about uh, uh, raw sewage, I mean, uh, being, uh, it's a common trait now. Not, I thought it was a case that I didn't think. I believe it's happening throughout the country. And, uh, you know, it's becoming uh, right in front of you, uh, the manhole, and then that becomes a sinkhole, and suddenly uh, some buildings are called. In Centurion, I've seen uh, pictures of building uh, caving in because of, uh, you know, sewage getting in and so forth. Uh, who's, uh, you know, culpable for this negligence? Can the municipalities... Uh, be sued because of uh, negligence, uh, Mohammed. You know, they say that even with the potholes that you could lodge a claim with your local council in the past, I, I've come across also uh, in terms of the municipal bylaws that, example, if you lose any electrical equipment as a result of load shedding and, you know, surge of power then coming back on, you can lodge a claim. Uh, and I've seen claim forms, I've completed claim forms for clients also, but I found by and large that there was never a positive response from these things. The municipalities are broke. They have no money. There's no, um, the compensation seems to be at zero for these types of things. And if you have a claim against the municipality, yes, I can understand, you know, you, you, you could very well have a civil claim because I mean, through no fault of your own service delivery issues. I mean, typically um, you're finding that the DA is, I think it's the DA that's now even talking about inst- instituting um, a claim against the government for for load shedding because this is negligence on the part of government. This is negligence on the part of service delivery at local level. And you as a common citizen could very well have a case and a claim against them for non-delivery. You pay your services every month. They have an obligation to provide you with with the services so that you can continue your business. A lot of people have thrown away their stock because it is rotten. A lot of people have lost stock and lost customers. Today we're living in an environment, it's not only the storage, 
it's the load shedding, then it's the strikes, then every day there's something new that affects a person's business. I mean, you try to, to go into some government departments. I, I, I know we've been trying to get plans approved for client, and it's about two weeks now, and every time you know you speak to an architect, he says they're having service delivery protests outside the council's offices, and nobody can go in and nobody can go out. So, I mean, if you've got a business and you keep on getting affected with these types of things, and um, how, how do you really run and manage a business in the current economic climate there's if anybody wants to start a new business knowing this load surging schedule is exactly like this he needs to have his head examined first uh, yes uh, Muhammad. then you know communities uh, want to withhold uh, rates and taxes uh what could the rec- repercussions be on them because uh, the government uh, you know it's they tell us in no uncertain term it's uh, our way or the highway. I mean, if you're not going to pay rates and taxes, uh, they will still send you penalties and so forth. And they will still want the money out of you, even if they have people that go around uh, reading your meters wrongly. And some of them, we are told, uh, I mean, on newspaper reports, they don't even read your meters and they just uh, give you a fictitious ac- uh, account every month where it's uh, the, the, the amount is truly unreal because there's uh, perhaps two people living in a home or a single individual but he gets a bill like 20 people are living in his, uh, in his property. Um, Mohammed, what's your thoughts? It's a difficult situation. You know, I must say, we have a culture, especially amongst the Indian people, to pay our municipal accounts on time. And yet the same culture, culture does not prevail in other communities. In other communities, when the council, local council wishes to disconnect services, You find that the community bands together, the community has marches, the community reconnects the electricity, even if it's just for an individual home, and they threaten them. They physically threaten these uh, local council employees um, if if they come back and they try to disconnect. So there's absolute fear when they go into some of the other areas to try to disconnect. But unfortunately, amongst the Indian community, um, if, if they disconnect you, we submit, you know, we, we try to then find some financial assistance so we can go in and we can then pay and have a reconnection. There isn't a culture in our community of standing up for somebody else because we feel that it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's just anti-social behavior for us to embark on something like this. But the culture is different in this country. So what happens is those who pay subsidizes those who don't pay. And those who don't pay know very well that if I don't pay, nothing is going to happen to me. So why should I pay thousands of rands every year for electricity when I can get it for Mahala, when I can get it for free? Why should I pay for service delivery when the council XYZ, whatever the reason, even if the council provides refuse uh, removal services and they're going to charge you 300 rand a month for that, but the culture is don't pay for anything. Let it run into hundreds of thousands of rents and just pray that one day the mayor wakes up and he decides to write it. Oh, we will eventually march in the mayor's office and we'll ask them and we'll throw the rubbish, we'll strew the rubbish all over the floors and the streets and we'll get the council to change their position on these issues. So yes, the reality is, I mean, I've seen this because we work in this industry. People, by and large, we have a community 
that is law abiding, that doesn't want to break the law, that doesn't is not involved really in you know corrupt corruption doesn't we we we're not interested. We don't want to be involved in anything that's unsocial, that's criminal. We don't want to get involved in 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 anything untoward because we're scared and we don't want issues and we're law abiding by our very nature. So yes, all these things put together is makes a person think. You know, you think that if how much more are we going to really take, and what's the culture going to eventually be in the country? Because if you don't pay then the council naturally says how are we able to provide essential services i mean what the council does provide is essential services without a budget without money how did you provide you with water electricity maintain your infrastructure maintain your sewage pipes so that nobody gets sick and that the infrastructure and everything continues to work and everything was working in our country for many years things were working nicely and the deterioration then set in and then the rot set in and now you're finding that we're working in a system that nothing is happening the beaches are closed for people to even sit the public i mean yeah, we were seeing videos of raw sewage in the streets of shlanga and the beaches there and this was you know this is unacceptable in the type of environment that we previously were accustomed to something much better than this we knew and we lived in better times than we are currently load shedding was unheard of 15 years ago. Um, this infrastructure collapsing at this rate was unheard of. So I hope that things can happen and we can our continue, the country can continue and people's eyes can open up and say, are we voting for the right political parties? Do we have the right leaders in place? Or, or is it time that, you know, we need to make a change so that we can have a better quality of life at the end of the day? Zakallah for that, Mohammed. Also looking at a question, uh, you know, that came uh, when your composite went up. Uh, Thayer uh, wanted to know: I want to sell my house urgently, uh, uh, attorney Hafez uh, Mohammed Kubadia, but I don't want to sell it for a luck, and I don't want to get uh, a short change. What must I do, and what are some of the uh, steps I should take place? But I need uh, cash ASAP. I don't want to go and bond uh, the home again. Uh, <coughs> how do you respond uh, to Thayer? Uh, so, so, so a lot of times people are faced with a situation that they need to dispose of the asset and a home is unlike a check. You can just go into a bank and cash a check and you walk out with the cash. Home generally takes a bit of time and the average time that it's currently taking for a home to be sold is up to a year. So it could take between six months to a year for the average house to get sold based on the fact that the seller must be flexible in in terms of pricing and where he wants to be because buyers naturally would try to want the best possible price and they would come in low the seller then looks at the offers and he wonders to himself you know am i outpricing myself do i need to come down i'm just going to if he's just going to continue to be stubborn and he's fixed on a particular price then no sale is going to happen unless you know there's reasons to believe that the buyer wants to um, uh, well, he's keen on buying a particular property. So sometimes buyers 
I set on buying a particular property because my mother lives next door or I need to be in this particular area and this street is just exactly what I need. So I don't mind paying a few rand extra. Then the other buyer is, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with any house in this particular area. I'm going to put an offer here for a million year, offer for 1.2 year, 1.3, whichever comes is uh, good luck. And this is how I'm going to basically purchase a property. Now you have a seller that who has a need and he wants to liquidate and he needs some cash. So obviously he needs to ask himself the question, if I sell my house now, where will I be living? Do I have another house that I need to sell? And if he's got, I mean, another house that he can live in. And if he's got another house, then obviously the house that he wishes to dispose of would be great that he could liquidate it and time comes, he could repurchase another investment. If he doesn't have a home, now he's going to probably be renting because he's going to need his finances for a while. And it would mean, uh, mean that um, if he rents another property, he, you know, he's paying somebody else's or, or, or he's contributing to in somebody else's investment pool and not his own investment. So in the long term, it's not the wisest of strategies. So he's saying that I don't want to bond it. And that's important from an Islamic perspective that uh, we, we stay away from, from bonding it and, you know, Allah make his flight easy so he doesn't need to bond it. But then, you know, he could, he could consider then doing, um, doing a deal with maybe a family member. So he could go to a cousin and say, listen, um, why don't you invest in my property? So the cousin would say, how do you, how would you want me to invest this? So he says, I'd like you to purchase this property from me for a million rand and let me rent it from you uh, at 10,000 rand a month. And at the end of the year, I expect for my million rand to come back. And I'd like to then repurchase this property from you. And we could set out something along that particular, uh, 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 along, along those lines. So sure, it's not, it's not easy to convince somebody that this will be something that um, they would be interested in. But at the same time, there's a, there's a reward and a benefit for a person who does put up the money because he's seeing his capital intact. It's in bricks and mortar and it's being looked after by somebody who wants to purchase the property back. And for that reason, he will then uh, maintain the property as if it's his own. And it would be, you know, in time to come, it would revert back to the original owner. And at the same time, he's receiving the fruits of the property is that he's receiving some rental and the green rental maybe in the circumstances is 10,000 rand. So over the year, he would earn 120,000. And that's a great investment. Uh, and it seems to work both ways. And after yesterday's budget speech, you could actually even find that uh, you could uh, buy a property for up to 1.1 million rand and not pay transfer duty to SARS. So, you know, they've they made it a bit easier and they've, they're obviously trying to stimulate the economy and trying to allow and encourage people to then buy, go out and buy properties with these types of exemptions. Um, yes, that's that, that's something that uh, came up uh, in the budget speech on Wednesday, day before yesterday, and something people can know about and it helps them in making a decision about buying a home. You know, Mohammed, you brought up a point there. And what happens, you know, if the parents pass on and... Uh, they have, uh, you know, bequitted the, the property to the children. Uh, the children have to pay transfer duties. Uh, you know, will the government waive that too if the property is valued below a million? Below 1.1 million now. So um, also take into consideration mm. the transfer duty is only paid on a sale and a purchase of a property 
Um, so if you're paying a property is over 1.1 million rand, it would attract, and there's a different sliding scale, but hypothetically, if you purchase the property for 1.2 million, you'd pay 3% of the amount that exceeds 1.1, that's 3,000 rand. So it's it's you're actually only paying SARS 3,000 rand on a 1.2 million rand property purchase, but that's only on the purchase. Then there's other tax rates that would be applicable uh, in other circumstances. Uh, you sometimes get um, VAT, where you the seller is VAT registered, then you don't pay transfer duty, you pay VAT at 15%. Uh, but the, in the specific circumstances that you referred to, where you inherit the property, then there is an exemption in terms of the Transfer Duty Act, Section 9 to be specific, where you would actually find that a beneficiary or a legatee would benefit from a property because of the interstate or the in terms of the, the succession um, without having to pay any transfer duty because it's not particularly a buy and sell agreement. And there's other provisions, for example, if a person passes away and his spouse bequeaths to them under circumstances, they bequeath properties to them and you inherit that property by virtue of your spouse passing on, there was also full exemption regarding that. And if you get divorced, and the two of you owned uh, like a community of property, 50% share in each spouse held in the property and the divorce order states that now the one spouse will then continue with the property and, and basically acquire the share of the divorced spouse, that would also be exempt. So yes, um, there are other exemptions that have been prevalent in other circumstances all along. Zakala for that. And also, you know, I'm looking at a message where, you know, Bilal earlier on has sent in a message and he said, uh, uh, Brother Shafat, please uh, run this uh, with our attorney, Hafez Muhammad Kubadia. Uh, I want to tell him uh, that when it comes uh, to being a landlord in this country today, it is a nightmare. It seems that, that uh, the uh, tenants have more rights over the landlord and the poor landlord is uh, being milked dry by the government first of all, with the rates and taxes, and secondly, by uh, by making sure that he has to find an, an alternative uh, a property for the tenants before giving him uh, notice. Uh, any truth in this? I mean, you, you, you as a landlord, if you're giving a tenant a notice, you have to find an alternative uh, place for them before you, uh, you know, uh, before telling them, you know, please move on. Is so... So, so yeah, so um, there is a difference between commercial leasing and residential leasing. So commercial leasing by and large doesn't have the same owner's requirements that you have a corporate as your tenant, you know, you have a small business where the, the guy is doing cell repairs out of your building and he then breaches the agreement and maybe refuses to pay. The procedure for uh, evicting him from the property is less onerous. As financially rewarding as it is to be in commercial, it's actually in terms of evictions also because it's not onerous in terms of the requirements for evictions. So it takes a, a much less time. It's a quicker procedure. You know, just have to show the court that this person hasn't uh, has breached the, the the lease agreement and he's failed to remedy his breach and you can actually get a court order for his eviction. Whereas residential is now protected, residential accommodation is now protected because 
the government has initially a responsibility and owner ownership own it has a onerous responsibility of providing accommodation to its citizens and they've defaulted they've breached they've shirked their responsibility and they were unable they've been unable to provide accommodation as much as hard as they tried and the promises of a million homes and all these things so they saw that you know what uh, people are being evicted uh, people are not paying their their rentals and you know suddenly people are out on the street and it's creating havoc and it's chaotic so they then enacted legislation that prevents you now uh, from evicting tenants without following certain procedures protocols so in terms of uh, uh, evicting a tenant now you know you, you it would be illegal for you to just go and kick a person out of a of your accommodation without a necessary court order so you have to then approach court in court you have to then convince a judge or a magistrate that this person now has breached his agreement and that you've given him the necessary notices and you have to convince the court that you know what his circumstances are not that it's impossible for him to find accommodation there's plenty of accommodation in the area you may have to cite you know um, some of the available accommodations you then you know if he's got disabled people the judge the magistrate takes cognizance of children elderly people disabled people in the family and you may postpone it you may find uh, that um, the landlord is being unreasonable and would defer then you know uh, so the situation can be more intricate even on a simple residential than it would be on a commercial and i must be honest and you know the people sometimes don't understand that these applications that you need to bring across the board is quite expensive uh, you you collect ten thousand rand or five thousand rand a month. Now you go into a lawyer's office, and any lawyer across the country is going to tell you it's going to cost you thirty thousand rand, uh, Mr. Shafat, to get your tenant out of your property, and it's going to take you between six and twelve months. In the meantime, the tenant is punishing you further by not paying his rental. He's frustrating you. He's, he's, he's making a joke out of you because every time you come there, he laughs, he scoffs in your face. There's nothing you can do. You feel like an alien and an outsider outside your own premises. It's a difficult situation. And I agree wholeheartedly with Bilal that you need to be wary and you need to be careful. Residential letting is not for every person. Uh, there's a select few that, uh, that that they have, you know, that are hands-on, they know and understand, they vet their tenants carefully, they make sure they have referral letters from the previous places that they uh, that they worked at, they speak to the employers and they find out from employers that this person, you know, how much is he earning, is there a level of affordability, if he doesn't pay, can I come knocking on your door, make those types of inquiries, um, you know, letting out to family sometimes is great because, it, they, they, you know, there's element of loyalty. A brother, a cousin will look after a property or supposed to look after a property better than what a stranger would. But at the same time, if they stop paying rental, it can get into a difficult family situation for you because now you, you know, you're having words with a cousin and, you know, his mother is now phoning you. She's crying. And, you know, so, so these things are difficult and I understand. I appreciate. Um, and the law is not made things easier. As Bilal says, and this has been, the song that you know that's being sung for the many years now is that the law is in favor of the tenant in the same way we say the law is in favor of the criminal today you find that criminals have more rights or tenants have more rights than the landlords and as a result of which a lot of people have steered away 
from properties. And 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 like I say, you know, it's 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 these types of things that have negatively affected property growth in this country because people don't want to overcapitalize and don't want to over uh, invest. Um, we have these issues without a doubt. It's it's not the it's not the uh, the norm. It's it's by and large you find that it could be the exceptions. Uh, a lot of people pay their rental on time. A lot of people are law abiding. A lot of people don't want to have issues, and they they generally good people to work with. And if you have a type of tenant, a relationship with them can go on for a long time, and uh, it, it could it could add and assist you in terms of, of the type of rental income that you get. I mean, today investing in any business comes with its perils. You want to open up a bookshop at the end of the road, you'll find that that also has its perils. Who reads nowadays? Uh, theft, problems with staff and unions. All these things come to the fore. So every business has it needs to be managed properly. It needs to be considered in the light of everything that I can buy a house now because my neighbor is selling it. My son is 15 years old. He may only require a house uh, 10 years from now, but it's something that I, I, I can do. So for a few years, I'll get a tenant. By the time he's, he matures up, there will be something available for him right next door to me. It's something that a parent could think of looking along those lines. And even if his son decides not to move in, he knows that the, the property could still be resold and he could get um, a, his money back somewhere along the line. Um, you know how it is in business today. You invest a million rand, you buy stock, you buy fridges, you buy ovens. Things don't work out a year down the line. The same oven you spent 100,000 rand for, you're battling to get somebody to buy it, take it off you for 50,000 rand, spent a million rand, you recovered 20,000 rand, 50,000 rand, 100,000 rand. The time you pay off your debts, you're actually worse off than where you were. So yes, every business needs to be considered carefully uh, in the light of the political situation. Uh, a lot of us had problems in India, I have properties in India, but in the, in the light of the current political situation, it served us for hundreds of years. It was there. It was earning a good capital growth. We may have had tenants on it, but now the political situation is India. The people are asking me, what should you do? And they say, maybe it's time for you to liquidate before the situation can spiral out of control. What Mugabe did to the Indians in the early 70s, he gave us 90 days to pack up and leave. We don't know what the government... if. Tomorrow, if certain political leaders come into power, they could very well have that mindset. And as comfortable as we are, how do we deal with it? The Ugandans also thought, under Idi Amin, that we've got peace of mind. We're the one that's running the economy. Idi Amin is good to us. We're good with the government here in Uganda. And 90 days later, all of them had to pack up and leave. Nobody in their wildest dreams would have thought that I can only take what I can carry with me. So... Yes, you know, this is uh, the, the mentality should be this that we have these considerations in any type of investments that we make, Shafat. Dr. Muhammad, and uh, you know, you really, you really are a wealth of information. You know, whilst you're talking, I was thinking about uh, hijacked buildings and these individuals get in there and they run a mock. Uh, certain of them are, you know, they become their landlord or they become uh, the what you call uh, the mafia there. Uh, collecting the taxes and uh, from the people, but that hijacked building and uh, the owner uh, fails to pay the water account, the light account, and the rates and uh, taxes on that building. And eventually, what happens? Because it, it, the lights are disconnected, the water is disconnected, and the people are still living there. And uh, the landlord sometimes disappears or passes on. Uh, that property goes back to the municipal uh, municipality. 
Uh, talk to us, Mohammed. So it's not an automatic procedure. The municipality itself in most towns, they do not even have money to issue summonses anymore. So they, the best that they do is they harass the people, they disconnect them, they phone them daily, they send them WhatsApps or SMSs or they send them emails, your account is in arrears, please pay or we're going to disconnect. This is This is the best that they can do because lawyers are expensive. They can't afford now to chase debt and people when they come to a person's home, then they find that um, that there's not even, you know, the legal process is so cumbersome that three years down the line. So technically what they're supposed to do is the council is supposed to action on an arrear account. Um, and, and, and rates and taxes is a tax. It's a tax levied by the government. It's 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 not just a due. And, it you know, prescription on, on rates and taxes is 30 years. That means for 30 years, the council can still hold you responsible for, for a debt. Uh, although there's a provision in terms of the Municipal Services Act, that when you transfer a property, the council is only supposed to charge you up to two years of the services. So for the last two years, if your account was 20,000 rand, your outstanding balance may be 2 million rand, but you're only uh, legally liable to pay for the purposes of transfer 20,000 rand. So, they, you know, people take advantage of that particular loophole when selling properties. But apart from just going back and trying to answer your question, Council cannot automatically assume the the properties, even if the owner is dead. And sometimes because the owner is dead, it leads to further complications because the family has not even uh, got an executor and appointed an executor. And the council then cannot issue summons against somebody who is dead until letters of executorship have been uh, have been issued by the master of the high court. So then these buildings go into decay until the council then finds, okay, here's an executor, we can action this property, we're going to issue summons, okay. So they issue summons, and if a person is alive, they can they eventually decide that they're going to issue the summons, they issue the summons, there's a process involved with that, they then have to apply for judgment against you, judgment means eventually that they get, they win the case against you, in simple terms, and they try to then issue a warrant, and then if they want to sell the property because of outstanding rates and taxes, there's a court application that they go through. They go to in front of a judge and they tell the judge that this building needs to get sold because outstanding account is a million rand. The value of the property is a million rand. There's so many people that are need to get housed. And this is our plan regarding the eviction and the removal of the people. And uh, a judge looks at the whole papers and the judge decides whether they've made out a case for execution and sale of the property by way of a public auction. And if that is then granted, then then there's a date of sale. It's City of D uh, Durban versus ABC to be held at the Sheriff's Office on Thursday at 10 o'clock, and everybody then is notified about it. And the property then gets sold. The purchaser then has to pay the purchase price that he offers, the sale price that he offers, together with the municipal account for him to receive transfer of the property. So that's, you know... Um, any prudent now investor would not be interested in buying these properties and expending huge amounts of monies in areas that really got no financial benefit because unless you're going to milk that property and you're going to take full advantage of these properties in the CBD and you know what you're doing and you maybe have a few heavies working for you and helping you through these things, you find that the culture of these buildings is the total decay, dilapidation. People are living living in absolute squalor. They're living in filth and muck. And the rats are bigger than the cats in these buildings. And the police are afraid to come into these buildings. And no 
sane and reasonable person would want to even venture. So you find the situation in some of these buildings becomes so bad that you wonder who's living in there and what conditions, how can they even manage in these conditions? Yes. And that's what leads to urban decay because if one building then falls like this, the buildings around it then suddenly become hijacked. And, you know, unfortunately, the simulation of hijacking is with the Nigerians. You find that this is this is this is how the mentality is that it, it seems to be hijacked uh, by Nigerians, and uh, unfortunately they have a terrible reputation. And you know some people are, and, and I'm using this in a general sense, but we know specifically that these excellent Nigerians. But what do we do and what do we say? How do we deal with it? Because with that comes that element of the Nigers have been in come into the property, brought the drugs, and they're now renting rooms from people. And acting and pretending, or you know, the, the, the culture is if you don't pay me the rent, don't worry about the landlord, you pay me the rent. Otherwise, unfortunately, tomorrow night you're going to be out on the street. And they hijack other people's building and they're making a fortune on other people's uh, woes and other people's misfortunes. But that's the unfortunate reality of this country that we're living in. We're living in a state of lawlessness. We're living in a country of lawlessness. And we hope and pray that our situation can get better. Yeah, someone's going to call uh, Mohammed. Please uh, don't do that either. Live on air now. Mohammed, uh, you know, uh, you talk about uh, these uh, buildings and, and then, uh, you know, uh, the municipality uh, auctions them and you find a lot of syndicates. You know, I'm talking about legal syndicates, you know, like our Muslim brothers and so forth. You know, all the brothers get together, family members get together, Allah's uh, endowed them with wealth and they go and uh, buy these properties. Uh, you know, and, you know, they, they, they're quite good at it because they, uh, they, they have their own construction company, and they do properties up and so forth. And uh, they're quite successful at that. Uh, talk to me about that culture of, uh, you know, being a syndicate and uh, looking for, you know, in inverted commas, the lux. I mean, this building definitely will be a luck if it was a hijacked building. They got the money. Uh, obviously, they'll do the feasibility before they go and bid for it, uh, Mohammed. Yes, of course. I mean, and that's a business opportunity for many people. And I think that's what in our previous discussion we started off and saying, Look for the opportunities in uh, in buildings. I, you know, it's difficult to pass a luck sometimes. You, you, and not <laughs> all buildings are hijacked. Not yeah. all buildings are uh, in 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 the, in the urban decay. You know, a lot of buildings are beautiful buildings, and a person who appreciates a good building is a person that will understand what what the nature of buildings are about. So yes. A lot of buildings come up on auctions um, for whatever particular reason, and a lot of them are good. If you do your homework and you look at your percentages, 10, 12, 15, sometimes 18% or 20%, you know, depending on, on where you are, your location, all that, great opportunities. I, I remember, you know, in the earlier years, uh, when evictions, residential evictions was easy, when we didn't have the type of hijackings, you know, people would go into dilapidated buildings, buildings that were salvageable. They would have a team of people that would work. They would work with. So, from lawyers, plumbers, electricians, they would go in, buy into these dilapidated buildings because, by and large, people don't want to develop. People don't want to improve purchases. If people buy 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 a home, so maybe one of the questions earlier: I want to sell my property early. Always make your house sellable. By that, it means. Fill your pool. Don't sell a green house with a. Don't show a house with a green pool because it turns people away. If your house needs a paint job, spend the ten thousand rand and redo the paint. If your house has a broken window, 
fix up the windows so people can see they don't see a broken window. These things cost sometimes a few thousand rand, but believe you me, it will add hundred and two hundred thousand rand on your purchase price. So, uh, are people, but people, a, a potential buyer, firstly, he's so tied up with his, with his money, that if he even wants to do the basic things like paint, he says, you know what, I can't do it now. I just moved into the house. I have to just now rough it out for next couple of months, next couple of years. Whereas if you do this and you show him the house and you show him that the house doesn't need work, it's a potentially a good seller. Similarly, a lot of buyers are scared to do building repair works, especially amongst the younger generation. They feel intimidated having to deal with construction companies, having to to, to make uh, structural changes. Where am I going to sleep? They're going to remove my whole front door, my whole front part of the house is going to be broken down. My wife and my kids. Yes, that that the culture we understand it. That's why sellers need to be concerned, uh, considerate about these things. And similarly, with a culture of uh, renovating hijacked buildings, look at some of the buildings that were previously dilapidated, and the person went and he gave the whole building a major overhaul. He turned some of these buildings around and we started selling these units for 2 million rand a, 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 a unit. Mm. Um, you'll find that he's made a lot of money and you've got to admire him because when nobody saw a view and a potential, nobody saw an opportunity, somebody came in, he had the guts, he had the understanding of what he's going to do. He worked out all the figures. He went in, he purchased the building, he's selling it, he's happy, he's making some money out of it, and he's continuing to to, to, to do these things under different, the different circumstances. So like that, you know, I, I don't say it's all doom and gloom, and maybe sometimes it comes across that way with the questions and how we respond. But there's definitely an, an element of property that have existed for thousands of years and an element that's going to continue to exist. We're just part of the cycle. You know, we'll be a homeowner today and we're going to pass on and move on. And that's the nature and cycle of life. But somebody else is going to benefit from that also. Yes, sir. Mohammed, yeah, in the Durban CBD, uh, many have uh, converted their apartments or, you know, the uh, blocks of uh, offices and so forth into uh, students' accommodation. And, uh, you know, recently the municipality said, no, that was illegal. They shouldn't have done that. And uh, that has its uh, repercussions. The students are, you know, marching and vandalizing and burning their beds and mattresses and throwing it from uh, the 10th floor and so forth. I mean, uh, this country is definitely, there's an implosion, uh, Mohammed. Uh, sorry, Shafat, I didn't just get the last question. Just repeat it for me, please. No, I'm just saying uh, that most of the uh, buildings in this uh, country Oh, in uh, Durban CBD, they've been uh, com- uh, converting office blocks into uh, student accommodation. And, uh, you know, uh, then uh, you found that uh, recently the municipality said, no, these are, uh, what you have done is illegal. That should have been office blocks. And then suddenly the students are reacting, uh, burning the furniture and throwing it uh, into the roads and so forth, uh, you know, uh, acting against the municipality yes. okay. and so forth. Okay, uh, what, uh, yeah, I- what's your take? You know, I, I, the, the, we seem to have a culture of punishing the people who want to conform and mm. want to be legal. Unfortunately, the reality is exactly this, that the person who pays his taxes, SARS is the person, SARS is guns, those people who comply and starts now investigating and making things uh, difficult for a person. And then you get the person who sells drugs and SARS doesn't trouble him in the least. So he makes millions of rands, tracks free, and he's living a good life and he's benefiting and he uses the services and he uses infrastructure and he laughs because SARS, so so the culture is this. So yes, I can't as a as a legal person, I can't condone when something is illegal and something needs to be said. So you can't go and 
build and use a property except for the zoning that it's providing. What I'm saying is that if your zoning is registered as residential, for example, or business, let's take, I suppose, in this case, it was used for offices. So the zoning was used for offices. And it, although it's easy and convenient for you to, um, although it's easy and convenient for you to convert it into student accommodation, because this is exactly what the need would be, the problem is you need to go through a zoning process. It, it costs maybe 20, 30, 50,000 rand to have your property rezoned. It would take approximately about a year. There's notices and advertisements and procedure and protocol that needs to be followed. And once the final approval has then been granted, you are now then in the in a position to officially. And then it's not always guaranteed. You spend this money and then the council says, no, there's no need or the, it doesn't uh, uh, comply with our requirements or X, Y, and Z reason. Um, they found this bylaw or that bylaw that will then uh, allow them not to, to grant you this rezoning and as a result of which the effort and the money and now your building is now standing and you, the ideas that you had doesn't then uh, materialize. But if, if you know for the investor, the prudent, prudent investor and he doesn't want to have issues with the council, then he needs to apply and get the zoning done and once the zoning is then formally approved, he then could now rent it out. And this is being innovative because the nature of building nowadays is you need to, when you build, you have to consider load shedding. So build in a way that you have now uh, solar or inverters and you now prepare maybe a room and your roof for these types of things. When you build nowadays, it's Wi-Fi. You have to consider that people love of Wi-Fi. And, you know, in the same way that banks, when they used to have 50 dollars, now they only have three dollars. They've just been innovative about their products and what they have to offer in their interaction with customers. When you build homes now, you have to consider a lot more things. You have to be, you know, you, maybe now Jojo tanks need to be installed for collecting water and keeping water uh, when there's no water in certain areas, especially, you know, it's in the case that area people have went on for weeks sometimes with no water. So these types of things, you know, need to be considered in the light of how we evolve and how we're developing as a community. Mohammed, what a great evening in your company and full of uh, knowledge and uh, brilliance uh, coming through from you. Perhaps your parting words uh, before I let you go. Gee, once again, you know, Shafat, it's great having you on my show because I'm, I seem <laughs> to be so regular here. People are wondering who's the guest and who's the host. But no, Jazakallah, once again, for you and your hospitality and the opportunity for me to respond uh, unceremoniously to your questions and uh, just to give you the best shot and Jazakallah to your listeners for giving us one hour of their time uh, I, I I need the names and details of each one of them so I can send them the bull Shafat Alright, I'll uh, do, do that and uh, they are sending you loads and loads of duas hey, you got Jazakallah. it all stashed up in the Akhira hey, and uh, inshallah if we're Amen. there I say, Muhammad, there's it. You know what, Shafat, man? Where's that thing? I said, check there. He said, Amen. wow, gold, mountain of gold. I mean, my palace. I mean, I know. We, you're making I mean, I mean. I know what else you like, but anyway, I won't. <laughs> I'll leave it at Muhammad, you have a beautiful, mashallah, evening ahead. Inshallah, we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for uh, for the Isha Zan, and inshallah we will continue after that.